It's great to be here with you. It was a uh, Friday a week ago is when we uh, officially adopted uh, little Austin. We uh, Actually, my daughter had him since he was two days old. Um, so they had him right from the hospital. Uh, and you see God's rescue in things uh, like that, the life that he would have been on versus the life he now has. And But adoption is such a wonderful picture of God's love. And, you know, my affections to him are so strong. Uh, we have a strong bond. And, um, and well, that's God's affections for us. You know, he chooses. He just sets affection on us. He loves us. And there is a fierce devotion. Uh, I have a fierce devotion to all my grandchildren, uh, but this latest with Austin. And then I think of that's just my devotion, their parents' devotion, even more so. And, well, that's God's devotion to us. You know? It's his choice. Uh, it was his cost. It's his love that loves us first. Uh, it's affection set upon us. It's an inheritance given to us. It's a family identity that will never change, regardless of the ups and downs. And why Austin is a two-year-old, so he has all the love of, that a two-year-old gives, all that vigorous love. But, you know, he's going to have his ups and downs, but they're going to be up here over that. They're going to see their son through his life, but they see a perspective up here. So his times of wanderings, his times of difficulties, they'll still have this perspective that's up here that loves him over all that. And I think how much more God's perspective over us. There's just so loving, so committed, so fierce, so loyal, so affectionate, and so powerful. Because God can do for us what parents can't do for their children. God's got power to affect and to save and to change. And we, we are called to be faithful, but God can do more. And, and that's the God we have. So I love the picture of adoption. Uh, it's a wonderful. We have two of our children have adopted. One adopted a little girl from India, my daughter Amy, and then my daughter uh, Julie, just this little boy. And we've had foster children in our family as well. It's just a, a wonderful thing. It's great to be here with you. And I'm grateful for this church. Now I'm like grateful for your pastoral team. Uh, CB, as you know, has been a, a dear friend for 20 years just about. Um, so uh, just our friendship's very special. But also for this church um, and the difference you're making. I think about your church plan to Croatia. That's costly. You know, and for you guys to send out someone like Mario that could have just been here, and then for how you financially supported him for so many years already, that's strength. You, you strengthen our region, the Northeast region. We're together as a regional assembly of elders, this is one of the things we talk about. What's going on in Croatia? People in our in our region love the updates of Croatia. Well, that wouldn't have happened without you. And it wouldn't continue without you. Um, so our region gives as well. We're supporting him. Um, but you've really carried the bulk of that. So you're having an impact beyond your beyond yourselves in the Croatia, but also to all the Northeast region churches. And then I think just hearing what you're doing here in Reading, I mean, there's been a gospel light through you in Reading for 17 years now. There's a gospel presence here. And not that there weren't other good churches, but there's, a, there's another place where a light is burning brightly, and it's burning brightly through you. So how exciting to hear what you're doing with this Bible program for kids. They're going to get a Bible? Do you understand what that could mean to them down the road? And how that starts to get trajectories. And I don't know your background. Well, you start to hear stories. It's like, well, I, I got a Bible when I was six years old. And that affected me. Well, that then affected a family. 
that affected then children and grandchildren. And, you know, and there's a spreading effect of the gospel that goes beyond what you can trace out. And so thank you for your gospel presence here. And I'm so excited to be regional leader where we're planning churches. Remember, we had a dream to have one church in Philadelphia. We have four churches in Philadelphia right now with more to be planned. We had one, a dream to have a church in New England. We have four with two more being planned. So the gospel's growing. I'm excited for what you'll, will happen here as gospel expansions happen. I pray God will strengthen this church to plant more churches and plant churches in the Reading area. So it won't be just one light. There'll be this, wow, there's a glow <laughs> coming. Not just, a, not just a pointed light, but a glow because there's many lights. So, and I, I hope this message serves you to that end. So open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're only going to look at one verse this morning. But I trust it will strengthen this church, you, for enduring mission. Not just inspired mission, but enduring mission. I don't think it's hard to inspire. Right? You get an effective enough speaker. There's, there's inspiration, right? Think about how marriages will start. There's inspiration on the wedding day. What endures? There's a difference between inspiration and endurance. Something that splashes versus something that lasts over time. And I, I trust this message. And I pray this message will serve you in that. It's how I've been praying. So again, the title is Unchanging Truths Lead to Steadfast Mission. And here's the point, the main point. Gospel truths help us to remain steadfast and focused in times of weakness and challenge. Gospel truths, and we're going to look at these in this text, help us to remain steadfast. So we're not just here for a bit, but steadfast and focused. So we don't get distracted in times of weakness and challenge. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, and we're going to see later how that connects it to the entire chapter and the entire book, but particularly this chapter. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for all of your words in your book. I thank you that the Bible is you preaching to us. It's your living word. It's active. It's sharp. It has power. You address us through it. And Lord, I now pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. That this living word that you've given us, to affect us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, would have that effect on us today. Lord, personally, in our personal lives, but also, Lord, corporately. That this word would strengthen each person here, but would also strengthen this church. That they would have enduring and fruitful ministry. They would be steadfast in the gospel and in the mission of the gospel. So please help me to serve these people whom you love with great devotion, whom you have purchased at the cost of your own son's blood. We can't even imagine that. 
that you would love us to that great extent to purchase us with the blood of your own Son. Thank you, God the Father, and thank you, Jesus, and now, Holy Spirit, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. CB mentioned that we just celebrated our 25th anniversary as a church, um, which was a, a wonderful time, and people talked to me about that. We turned part of the church into museums, a whole a whole wing, and our children's ministry had all sort of the, the history of every ministry through the church through the years. So we saw children's ministry through the years and youth ministry through the years, and there was just wonderful, the buildings and where we had met during the years, and all these things, and a wonderful service. And for me, um, I don't cry a lot. Uh, my wife does. But that weekend, I cried all weekend, and she didn't cry at all. So it was a very unusual thing. She walked through. She was just in a party mode. She was celebrating and just partying with everybody who she met. I was crying with everybody I talked to. And uh, and for me, it was an experience of walking through uh, just God's faithfulness. It was. I just felt like I'm just experiencing the presence of God there's no explanation for anything apart from God's grace and faithfulness to us. And it was just an overwhelming experience. And what I would tell you, why I'm telling you that, is the first 21 years of that, 25, steady growth. Steady growth. Almost double-digit growth almost every year, but steady growth. Um, we had strong finances. We had planted two churches, both this church, church in the Philadelphia, and things we're going well. We still would have a pastoral situation, but you expect that. But as far as a church, it was a straight line up. It was good. That's not been our history the last four years. Last four years, very challenging. Very challenging. And I think we need to talk about the challenges as well as the good times, right? Because we can develop our own prosperity gospel. You know, when things are going well, yeah, we're not buying into the health wealth gospel, but we can have our own Christian, American Christian church prosperity. You know, things are going well for us. Everything we touch turns to gold. People keep coming. They're not leaving. And so for us, first 21 years, that's what it was like. Last four, much more challenging. We've had we have had and still have significant financial challenges. Significant. Like letting staff go type challenges. That's challenging. We've had a lack of, uh, we've had turnover on our pastoral team. That's challenging. Lack of continuity presents challenges. It affected the team. It affected the church. Uh, we've experienced a, a strange number of departures for a variety of reasons. Not all bad. People that must moved. They moved to different states for jobs and retirement. Uh, someone on the mission field, which is a good thing. But they left at a bad time. <laughs> they were good people who left at a bad time. <laughs> and, and it was like, we're rejoicing, but not now. <laughs> it's what it felt like. We send people in a church plant. That's a good thing. But we didn't anticipate when we planted a church in Philadelphia. I was hoping for 10. 40 went. That was happy, but not a good time. Because the 40 people went, there were big givers that went. There were our worship leaders that went. There were people that went that were like, I didn't want you to go, but I'm about the mission, I think. 
We had some people leave for theological reasons. We had some people leave because of disappointment with pastoral teams. We had people leave because of relational issues within the church. We had people leave. And that, folks, can be very challenging. I, I identify with this quote from Scott Sauls, who wrote a great book called From Weakness to Strength. We did a series in 2 Corinthians. That was the theme of our series, Weakness. God's power and God's grace in our weakness, but this book called From Weakness to Strength, and he says the following, in spite of our best efforts, the church down the street still attracts some of our members. That did not happen our first 21 years. It has happened in the last four. In spite of comprehensive, compassionate, and costly care given to hurting church member, he says he feels uncared for by our church and then leaves in a huff. In spite of of putting your best effort to craft worship services that artfully draw people in to the presence of God, the very criticisms still come. The music is too upbeat and too mellow. The song selection is too contemporary and too traditional. The people are not welcoming enough and too invasive. And then I add it, and the preaching is too deep and too shallow, too practical and too irrelevant and just too long. Right? And that became our experience. All of a sudden, people are leaving. And when those things happen that you've not experienced, they can be challenging, they can be disorienting, and they can be discouraging. So there's been times as a pastoral team, we've been discouraged. We're asking questions. We do interviews with, try to do interviews with everybody who leaves to find out why. It's what I don't know. It's not what I know that I'm concerned about. It's what I don't know. And you ask questions. We've put a group of people together in our church. Oh, is there something we're missing? We're asking those kinds of questions. Because you know what? It's a challenging time. And I think challenging times can raise questions. I think we can not process that well. It can be discouraging. And this is where 1 Corinthians 15, 58 can really help us. So let's pay attention to God's Word. So as Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this word to this local church and to us. Because the church in Corinth, they also faced challenges. And you know, most of their challenges were internal. And I actually think sometimes internal challenges are harder than external challenges. You know, when you're getting attacked from without, sometimes that makes you rally. But it happens when there's problems within That's harder to process. And they faced challenges brought on largely by themselves. So three points this morning. First, challenges are normal to church life. Challenges are normal to church life. First and second Corinthians make that abundantly clear. In Corinth, the church of Corinth, there were factions So people like different leaders. There were definitely different factions going on. There was sin. And Paul talks about the sin in in the Corinth church. There was ambition. They created disorder. There were false teachers. Eventually they became disenchanted with Paul. And they questioned Paul's uh, apostolic call, his gifting, and his character. All that's challenged. This church is going through all problems when you put First and Second Corinthians together. But in First Corinthians, particularly, those things all function. In other words, this is a church 
planted by God. And if you read uh, Acts 13, the Lord said, I have many in this city, Paul. Go. There's many going to be saved. That's the good news. Many. The, 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 the trajectory's up. Many were saved. This church is growing. Yes, isn't this exciting? Now some time's passed. Now there's problems. And there's divisions. And by the way, there's some people in this church that want to sue one another. These are real problems. This is not small. And it's vocal, and it's visible. And it's having an effect, and Paul writes into this, even though they are questioning Paul's right to write into those things. And folks, as we look at his challenges are normal to church life, not only is that true in Corinth, Paul's other letters to churches address similar things. So he writes letters where there's doctrinal issues. So he writes the Galatians. They're leaving the gospel itself and becoming legalists. They're becoming moralists. Just live a good life. You'll earn things from God. And he's got to address that. He sees that as a poisonous doctrine. It is no gospel at all. So he's addressing weaknesses. You have Philippians. You have Yodia and Syntyche. Two women, partners in the gospel with him, that are in conflict enough to make it into the Bible. I mean, aren't you looking forward to meeting them in heaven? I mean, I want to, so what did it feel like to be included in the Bible? That everybody that came to heaven is always asking the question, what was the conflict about? And in heaven, it won't be gossip. We can just ask the question. Right? We're just, you just think about that. So he's writing to places where there are doctrinal challenges, relational issues, Churches that had trials, and they didn't understand trials. And I became a Christian. I didn't think life was going to get harder. Well, you read Revelation, you see, oh my, life got much harder. And they were trying to figure it out. And Revelation was written to strengthen them so they wouldn't be surprised. And if you read Revelation correctly, it's not as predictive as it is strengthening about what God wants to do. Look at God's rule. Look at God's reign. Interpret and understand these things that are happening. So Paul's letter, the New Testament, all talks to, it's written to churches and churches that are going through things. And folks, church history proves the same. You know, we recently celebrated, was it last year, CB, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation? So last year, the 500th uh, anniversary of the Reformation. Think about the Reformation. The Bible's given back to the church. The gospel's made clear. Justification by faith. Wow! Folks, read Eric Metatax's book on Martin Luther. And you will see, oh my, a lot of other stuff was taking place. His best friends turned on him. Heresy started to happen. People took things he preached, took them out of context. There was abuses. It, it got chaotic. Tens of thousands of people died. Because of how some of the church was applying the Reformation. We're going to overthrow things. And it was like, it was a glorious mess. I can only imagine had there been bloggers in the internet back then. You know what they would have written? You know what they already were saying about Martin Luther? You know why he got married? Because he's a lustful man. That's why he got married, because he's a he's full of lust. <laughs> really? I thought I just fell in love. So he's accused, his character's attacked, his theology's distorted, there's abuses that are taking place, thousands of people are, are dying. It's, it is a, it is very messy. 
At this time, we see the Reformation. Folks, you got to understand what was taking place in the Reformation. Like, that can't be God. Well, what is? And God works gloriously and through messes. So we can have this. We don't have a romanticized view that there's just this straight line up. (laughs) Boy, Martin Luther, boy, once he got that, here I stand, put his foot down, justification of my faith alone, I'm free. No, it was so all over. Books were burned. His books were burned. Life was threatened. Again, by friends, not just enemies. Really distorted theology that happened around people that left what he said and started to do other things. Mystics got involved. I mean, it was chaotic. And yet God was working. Think about revivals, right? We all want pray for revival. Revival and ready, right? We all want revivals. Revivals often bring messes too. I mean, revivals have been times when there's been abuses. So we don't not pray for revival, but we just don't want to romanticize these things. Revivals, great work, right? God's great work in a short time, but sometimes there's excesses and abuses and drift, misapplication. So here's the point. Challenges are normal to church life. Don't ignore the challenge. We can't ignore our challenge. Okay? We can't ignore our challenges at Sovereign Grace Church. Church is doing well. We're in a, a bit of a lull, I would say. We're not growing the way we used to grow. Some people are coming. There's good morale. But we have a mortgage. And guess what? The mortgage does not care whether we're in a lull or not. Because the mortgage is very healthy and happy. And we must feed the mortgage. <laughs> it's demanding. And it does not let us sleep without being fed. It's a challenge. We can't ignore it, but we better not obsess over it. We better not misinterpret it. Because I think this is what we can do in challenges. We can start to misinterpret. Is God still with us? Don't ignore challenges. They're important, but don't obsess or misinterpret them. The fact that your church, any church, you've been here 17 years, right? Ops, you know, but then you have a dip. How do you interpret a dip? How do you interpret a lull? What does that mean? Important questions. And we want to make sure we think through those questions theologically, honestly. Okay? Or we may misinterpret that. So problems, folks, challenges are normal to church life. Normal in the Bible, normal in history, normal in the cultural landscape right now. I get to see the 16 sovereign grace churches in the Northeast region. Some, they are like this. They are, you know, it's a bullet going up. Some, Plateauing, some challenged. All people that are pray, faithfully preaching the gospel. Faithfully. And now interpreting what's happening. How do we process where we are? And how do we now do the next thing, which is the next point, remain steadfast? So folks, first, problems are normal in a church life. Challenges are normal. Secondly, we're called to steadfast ministry in those times. We are called the steadfast ministry during those times. With all the problems within the Corinthian church and problems that eventually would, that would come from without, because eventually they're going to go under persecution. They're going to have, they have problems within, there's going to be problems without. With all that that was going on in that church, 
Paul calls for two things. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers. Amazing, he calls them beloved brothers. He did love them, love them dearly, regardless of how they treated him. But my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Here's the first thing. Be steadfast, immovable. Be steadfast and immovable. Now, here's how I would understand that. Get your convictions. Operate out of truth. So in your crossfire meeting coming up, what you say? Facts over feelings. Right? Good. Parents, get your youth there. You want your kids to have that as a conviction in their heart. I operate on facts over feelings. Doesn't mean feelings are not relevant. They're very relevant. Our affections are relevant. But what facts drive you? What, what facts control you? What are your convictions? What do you believe? What do you believe that's unshakable? How do you hold to those things? That's very important. Be steadfast and immovable around your convictions. Listen to the counsel of Charles Spurgeon, my favorite historical preacher, who said the following. Be steadfast in the doctrines of the gospel. Know what you know. And knowing it, cling to it. Beloved, be firm, be steadfast, be positive. There are certain things which they are, which are true. Find them out. Grapple them to you as with hooks of steel. Buy the truth at any price and sell it at no price. Convictions drive. Think about marriage. And I know there's a group this size. People have probably some painful things when it comes to marriage. So I don't want you to hear things. Scripture is very clear about the commitment between a husband and a wife is a lifelong commitment. What, what conviction drives that? God's word drives that. Because it can't be just happiness. Kim and I are coming up to our 40th anniversary next year. 40 years. We've known each other since 8th grade. So we've known each other for 46 years, 47 years of my 60 years of living. Yeah, that's a long time. And you know what? She is my best friend. There is nobody. I mean, we love being together. And we talk, we talk about it all the time. We had five kids. There's only one left in the home. And he's 20. So he's not really there much. And we thought, you know, we're so grateful for our friendship. That friendship's more precious than ever. You know, and people might look at us and say, yeah, there's Kim and Warren and you know, and if you ever meet my wife, she's going to talk about me. Just get used to it, you know. And 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 just the, the the love, you know, folks. It's not just been this. There's been lulls. There's been anger. Times bitter. Well, what keeps you going when your marriage is disappointing? When there's bitterness, when there's anger of, I'm tired of this. Tired of this accusation. Tired of this expectation. I'm tired of this. What keeps you going in those moments? Boy, I hope it's conviction and not feeling. I hope it's believing something about God's word and what God calls and about the grace of God that will lead you through this morass, this wilderness right now within your relationship. So I'm not talking about the official. There are The Bible does give grounds for divorce. But lack of happiness, 
I've had lack of happiness. My wife's had more lack of happiness probably than I have. I've given her cause. She's given me some cause. I have like two stories in our 40 years where it's her fault. You know, and I tell those stories. (laughs) What keeps us? There's convictions about God. God has forgiven all my sins. That conviction drives me on how I need to forgive you. I don't forgive you for my psychological well-being, nor your psychological well-being. Sure, I like relational harmony. That's not why I forgive. I forgive because God has forgiven me. Therefore, I can forgive you. And if I'm not, I have a problem with God, not primarily with you. I see God's commitment to me. God has not given up on me. And I have given him every reason to do so. I oh my God, you've how could I? God has loved my me, and we talked about this in our family, love the whole package is one of our thoughts. So you love the whole package. You don't get pick and choose. I love that part of you and this part of you, that part not so much. No, you love the whole package. Why do I say that? Because God loves this whole package. God's patience and forbearance, his commitment, his loyalty, those things. Those things drive my convictions relationally. Boy, I wish the church would work that way. We have a, a difficulty. We, we did just have a couple believers. They, cause they wouldn't resolve conflict. And I thought, oh, boy, this is grievous. And it wasn't with the pastoral team. It's, can you resolve conflict? And why are you walking away as if your narrative is the only narrative? I understand your narrative. Can we invite the other narrative? Can you get help? No, no, our narrative is the other narrative, and, our, and we're hurt, and therefore we're leaving. I mean, oh, maybe God would call you leave, but if you're going to leave, let's do that the right way. And I think there's, there was a lack of convictions in that setting. And what does the Scripture teach me? Folks, this is what I know. If I do what I want, I'm probably going to go down the wrong path. If I'm about self-protection and self-happiness and self-preservation, I'm probably going to make the wrong decisions. But if I die to myself, actually that's, that's the path to life. It's what coming, what does not come naturally <laughs> brings life, not what comes naturally. Oh, naturally, I'll nurse my wounds. Thank you very much. I'll believe my narrative. Thank you very much. One of my sons asked me recently, he says, Dad, do you think in these meetings you're listening well? And I thought, why do you ask? He goes, because I'm your son. And you argue with conviction and persuasion and length. I'm like, yeah, because I'm right. I thought it was a great question from someone who knows me and knows his dad. I need to think about that. Folks, May convictions drive us. Be steadfast, immovable. There's convictions that have driven my commitments to Christ and my commitments to one another and my commitments to mission, my commitments to service. There's convictions that drive that. There's convictions that drive why I forgive and want to forgive well and generously. There's convictions that drive that. So be steadfast. Oh, church, be steadfast and immovable.
And then he says, doesn't stop there. He calls for two things. Secondly, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Please hear this. This was written to a local church, not pastors. Like, this is not written to CB and John. Like, okay, guys, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. It was written to all of us. You be abounding in the work of the Lord. So thank you for those of you who are serving those young children in the Bible camp. What's the uh, good news? Yeah, good news club. Thank you. That's abound. It's one of the things that's abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what? I think there's sacrifice involved in that. There's commitments you're making. There's involvement, but you're, you're thinking eternal. I do love the stud quote. What, you know, we do for Jesus last forever. Other things don't. Always abounding the work of the Lord. This is written to local church, not pastors. This is people who have jobs, right? Paul's writing to people who go to work. People who have families. People who have life cares, right? Can I provide? Will we have food on our table? Is my family going to be safe tomorrow? What do I do tomorrow? And by the way, back then, not a big safety net. If I don't make money today, I don't eat every today. Savings, not probably the experience of most. So there are people with jobs, families who love their children, life cares. They went to work. They had a shop. You know, um, we're doing step fast and move bounding the work of the Lord. And I got to go shopping. I got to buy food. They had to clean. I have to clean the house. They had to cook. Had to care for children. They had to do all the mundane things of life that we have to do. See, they're really just like us. Different culture. But work. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Work, clean, care, cook. Worry about the next day a little bit. They were lived in a community that no longer got them. Right? That community in Corinth no longer understood any of these people. So they were probably, boy, we had friends that we don't have anymore. People look at us strangely. When I share my excitement about Jesus, I get a blank stare back at me or worse. Not everybody I go and tell the gospel to is like, oh, please tell me about Jesus and take me to Jesus and let me go to church. There's a lot of people saying, huh? And who do you think you are? And why do you only believe there's only one God? And that's ridiculous. And you're narrow-minded. And you're a bigot. And you're this. And now you think you're better than us. And you don't think they had that? And with more to come eventually, you're going to be persecuted for this. But they would have had social pressures. The party they used to go to, they didn't go to anymore. The behavior they used to do, they didn't do anymore. And probably some friends they won, like you're different. And it's attractive. Some, you're different. And I want to break the image. So they ran into stuff like we do. We're like them. They're like us. They were different now. And what were they called to? Don't worry. Be steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul told them to abound. I love what John Piper says, and he says this to all of us, not pastors. He says the following, fill your days with things that count for Christ. Fill your days with things that count for Christ. Now again, let's, let's define that broadly. 
Because good news, Bible Club is not the only thing that is filling your days with things that count for Christ. You're doing that. So if you're a mom or dad here, please get a mom with young children, you're doing that when you care for your children. You are doing things. You are abounding in the work of the Lord when you have an eye on their soul. If you only have an eye for their success, you're not abounding in the work of the Lord. If it's just that they're growing up, they're moral, they're out of jail, they're learning, they're educated, they're going to get a good job, they're hopefully going to be married, and then I'm going to have grandchildren, and we have a, a moral, stable American family. No, that's not abounding in the work of the Lord. Their souls are eternal. Your children, everybody in this room has an eternal soul. The children that born, not born here are going to have eternal souls. Your children have an eternal soul. Moms, as you're caring, as you're pouring out your life, dads, as you're instructing, as you're loving, as you're serving your family, you are doing something of eternal value. And it will be sweeter and sweeter. Anybody who's their grandparent, I, I, my kids are walking with the Lord and my grandchildren are right now. They're young, but my oldest granddaughter just joined our youth group. The youth group that I used to be in, that CB led, has now got a second generation of my family in it. And she goes, Pop, Pop, I love youth group. It's my favorite day. I love the meeting. How was the message? Oh, I love the message. It was so good. So good. Pastor Andrew did this, this, this. And it was like, wow, God, I'm hearing these. This, folks, the sweetness of that to my ears. Give me, a, offer me anything. Offer me the lottery. Offer me anything. I don't want it. I don't want it. I want that. That's what I want in my ears. My not my, just my daughter, but my, my granddaughter, seeing Christ as precious. You know where that comes from? Parents that are investing. So parents, you are doing abound in the work of the Lord. Abound in the work of the Lord. See your children's souls as eternal. You're going to school, youth, college age, going to school. How can I abound the work of the Lord in that place? So I, I just think about these, oh, parents, Teach them to love Jesus, teach them to love, and teach them to love the church, by the way. You want to do both. Not just you and Jesus. It's not, it's an unbiblical view of Christianity. It's, it's the church, you know, it's the church. You've got to see the church. God created a people of God, not just a person of God. He loves you individually, but He always meant to have a people of God. Man, teach your children to love Jesus and love the church. Therefore, distance from the church will not increase love. Distance increases, you know, breeds distance, not devotion. When you extend hospitality and friendship, you can be abounding in the work of the Lord. In that moment, when you're saying, well, all I did was invite somebody over for dinner. You know how strong hospitality, hospitality commands are? There's books written on hospitality. And how important it is and how building it is to the church and how strengthening it is. Because well, it creates fellowship. And it builds something. So you say, well, all I did was take someone out for lunch or we had someone over. I, all I did was befriend someone. That's building a church. That's abounding in the work of the Lord. When you're committed to serve and build the church, when you participate in ministries, well, you are abounding in the work of the Lord. When you're reaching out to the lost, you are abounding in the re- work of the Lord. So when you go to work for the honor of God, men and women, and you're like, I'm going to work hard and work with integrity, well, you are doing something of abounding in the work of the Lord. 
That is not small. I think we miss small moments. They're big moments. Most of our life is lived in small moments. Not the 15 minutes of fame that make the difference. It's the small moments. And man, how do I abound the work of the Lord at work? And it's not always just sharing the gospel. It's I work with integrity. I work hard. I, I do this. I care for people. I actually do put needs of customers above my own. I care about my coworker. And, and I take the platforms God gives me. It's amazing. The last two times, the last two restaurants I was out to, we just stopped. And I got out of this habit, which I grieved me that I got out, but I just got back in the habit. So I felt I had been drifting in some areas evangelistically. And, and I was personally drifting. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back to what I used to do. How can I pray for you? We're Christians. We're going to pray for our meal. How can we pray for you? We had a waitress open her entire life to us. She goes, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about fostering. I'm thinking this. And she started, and we're like, wow, we actually have a fostering network in our church. We have a, a ministry about fostering led by a woman in our church. Can we connect you with her? Oh, I can't believe this. She's like, thank you for praying. I mean, it just, she just kept coming back and back to the table. And I was like, you know, I want to slow down. I was out with guys that I was leading. And I can live on that agenda. Or I can say, God, how do I abound in your work and are sensitive to your spirit right now? And I just slowed down. I asked such an easy question. How can we pray for you? The next woman I asked, she says, just pray that I have a nice Thanksgiving. I said, we will. That's all we did. Conversation wasn't offensive. That's as far as it went. Just pray that I have a nice Thanksgiving. Where do you have family? We asked them following. Do you have family? So we ask a question. Can I pray for you? They say something. You listen to what people say. And you ask them a question. Where are you going to school? What are you studying? You're fostering. Why do you want to do that? What age? You know, and we just have these conversations. And it was wonderful. And it's just abounding in the work of the Lord. Because God's working. God's seeking to save the lost. He wants to use you to do so. Finally, so folks, we're, problems are not abnormal. They're normal to church life challenges. We're called to steadfast ministry in those times. Don't be distracted. I don't want to be distracted by the challenges in our church, by the financial pressures of our church, that we're not growing the way we once did, that there have been some departures that are hard. And by the way, departures are always hard for pastors because we really love the people. And so any departure, even good departures are hard. But you know, I don't want to be distracted by that, that I forget to abound in the work of the Lord. And then finally, steadfast ministry is fueled by great realities. Steadfast ministry is fueled by great realities. Therefore, that word therefore in verse 58, and if you've studied scripture long enough, you understand therefore is an important word. It's connecting to what precedes it. It's a very important word in the Bible. Very important. We'll never have a red, you know, it doesn't generally have the red letters with it, but it's an under, it should be an underlined word, therefore, because therefore ties the exhortation to the entire chapter. We see three great realities in chapter 15. In verse 3, what's the great reality, the therefore of verse 3? Well, in verse 3 it says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died for all our sins. That is the unchanging reality of forgiven sin. And folks, forgiving, forgiven sin leads to steadfast ministry. 
It leads to us abounding in the work of the Lord. My sins are forgiven. No matter what else is going on today, this is a truth that's a reality. Your sins are all forgiven. Every one of them. Oh, may that, the truth of that, that's why it's important to get together and sing. Because we forget. And we drift. Start thinking about how am I doing? How's my devotions? What did I do? Where was I angry? You know, sins, right? Which we can't ignore, but start to distract. Can't ignore. Don't let them distract. God has forgiven me all my sins. That reality for Paul, he said, look, brothers, Christ died. He came and he died for your sins. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Christ died for all our sins. Forgiveness leads to steadfast ministry. Second great reality of chapter 15, Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, there's more emphasis on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 than the crucifixion. Right? And we know the centerpiece of the crucifixion. There's more attention, much more, given to the resurrection than the crucifixion in 15. Because you know what, you know what Paul's saying in these things? He's alive. You know what? Therefore, our faith is not in, not futile. Our faith, because that's what he says. You know, if Christ is not raised, you're idiots. Please, if Christ was not raised from the tomb, leave this place now. Go spend your money on yourself and indulge yourself to the fullest because that's all you got. And anything else is just an illusion, which is what Stephen Hawking would tell you, the, you know, some of the brilliant minds of the world, Carl Sagan, some of those brilliant minds. There is nothing after this life. It's all an illusion. When you die, you're dead. Therefore, uh, maybe you think living for others and doing good things, if that brings you psychological joy, go for it. But really, it's meaningless. So you know what? Eat, drink, and, die, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Ecclesiastes deals with these questions. We just did a whole series in Ecclesiastes last summer. Meaning of life. Reality. The reality of death. Did a message on death in our church. I got so much encouragement. I said, that's unusual. I didn't expect a lot of encouragement on a message on death. But there was. And scriptures give. So what's scripture saying? Jesus was raised from the dead. So therefore, your faith is not futile. He tells you he... He hammers it. Paul hammers this. If Christ is not raised, if Christ is not raised, if Christ is not raised, if Christ, but he has been raised. And that reality, oh, that reality changes Paul's life and changes it forever. He's alive. Our faith is not futile. Because your faith is not futile and Jesus is alive, therefore, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That great reality leads to steadfast ministry. And the final one is this. Not only was Christ raised, so we have Christ died for our sins, crucifixion. Christ was raised, the resurrection. And then in the last part of 15 before we read, I'll be raised with him. All these truths, these great realities of the crucifixion 
and the resurrection, guess what? There's a great reality for you personally. You're in this story. You're involved in this story. Your name's in this story. Your name's in this chapter. Because you know what? You'll be raised with him as well if you have faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe those things that are first importance, Christ died for our sins and was raised in accordance with Scripture on the third day, if you believe that, you will be raised with him. There will be no, and what's the, what's the text tell us? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The death of sting is, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Cause your labor is not in vain. Your labor, the small obediences, the ones that people don't see, setting up for this meeting, setting up for the kids' Bible study, setting up before, you know, cleaning up, at home, praying quietly and personally. Oh, all those things, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Be steadfast. Be steadfast, church. Christ Community Church, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your great and wonderful word, your powerful word. Thank you, Lord, for the powerful realities that surround your word and infuse your word. That you did die for our sins. That's a reality that once we have, we have it forever. That you were raised. Our faith is not futile. We're not just believing beliefs for the belief's sake, sake of belief, Lord, to just think positively. And God, that we will also be raised with you. May these great realities, Lord, may they cast a great perspective when challenges come, which is normal in church life. Well, this church has had its up moments, its level moments, its down moments, and there's more to come. There may be a 10-year moment, Lord, where they have in their history of, boy, it was just a, it was just pure up moment (laughs) for 10 years. Everything we touch turn to gold. Lord, there'll be another moment. May the challenging moments not distort us and may they not distract us from these great realities that inform our great mission. mission, To be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God, we want to do this because you're great. We want to do this because we want to bring your name, fame and glory and honor we want other people to know you're worthy of that. That they would see the great worth of Jesus Christ in their lives as well. We lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wasn't that rich, church? Uh, I, I was thinking as Warren was just concluding his message in um, Galatians 6 verse 9 uh, it was the Holy Spirit was really prompting this verse 
for us as a church, the Word of God says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So much of the Christian life is about not giving up. Um, as Warren uh, exhorted us uh, today from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, I felt like the Lord, the Holy Spirit really uh, just impressed upon me a, a real sense that there's some here who are just tempted to give up. You have been sowing into the direction of some areas in your life, um, in your own soul, but also investing um, prayers into the lives of your loved ones, uh, and you just haven't been seeing the fruit of what you're longing to see God bring about in your life. And I, I felt from the message and uh, from Galatians 6, 9, that the Lord wanted to encourage you that uh, don't, don't look at what your eyes are seeing. I, I believe the Lord wants to say to you that there is more that he's doing and more that he's accomplishing in your prayers and in your efforts. You're looking and thinking that God's not doing anything yet. And I believe the Lord wants to really encourage each and every one of you. Do not give up. Continue to abound in the work of the Lord and be faithful because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not in vain, church. And I I pray that you will be just greatly encouraged no matter what the fruit is that your eyes are seeing. You might be praying for something in a situa- situation that you care about might be getting worse. Don't give up. Continue to abound and go in faith before the Lord and, and do not give up no matter what your eyes see. You will hear well done, good and faithful servant. That's our call to be faithful. The results are in God's hands. Let us, by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing and trusting the promise that our labor in the Lord, it's not in vain. Satan's going to be tempting you to say, it's in vain, just give up, it's worthless. No, that's where, like Warren said, let your convictions, according to the truth of God's word, drive you and not what you feel. And let's pray that God will really help us with that as, as, as a local church in closing. Lord, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters here that you would cause all of us to look to you right now and to know, Lord, that our labor in you is not in vain. Lord, I pray that, Lord, uh, for all of us, that we would not grow weary in doing good. Lord, but we will continue to sow because we know, Lord, the promise that in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. I pray that nobody would give up, Lord God, in, in the fight. Nobody would give up in the battle with their own sin. Nobody would give up in the the continual lifting up of prayers for loved ones who aren't doing well in you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would continue to press in to ministry that abounds. And Lord, that we would abound in gospel ministry in every moment of our lives because Lord, we know that our labor is not in vain in you. And Lord, we know this because you have, as Warren mentioned, you have 
died on the cross for our sins. You have been raised to new life. And we look to you. Your labor, Lord, has not been in vain. You have saved all these souls here who have repented their sins and trusted in you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would infuse all of us and fill us with fresh hope as we look to our lives. And you would fill us, Holy Spirit, with power to abound and to not give up and to persevere by your grace for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Church, you are much loved. Have a wonderful, wonderful day and a wonderful week. God bless you.